How about now? Okay, amen. Thanks, John. All right. So we will continue tonight. I know we had a couple of weeks, the last two Sunday evenings off with the uh, Communion Sunday, how we usually take the night off, and uh, Marge's memorial service last week. So kind of just going to hit the ground running tonight and uh, see where it takes us. Amen? Uh, I'll tell you, in, in studying for this, I don't know exactly and with certainty why this chapter is really uh, where it is. It's right after the annual feasts and the before the sabbatical uh, jubilee, year of jubilee. So, but after much reading, much research with commentaries, uh, and much prayer, I believe that uh, what I'm going to share is what God taught me and I hope you are blessed by it. Really, we go from the celebrations and worship with offerings that John preached on last with the, the feasts, um, made during those appointed uh, times in chapter 23, where everyone would travel to Jerusalem, right? And uh, to uh, travel to Jerusalem, and uh, they did what God was commanding them to do in those feasts, but now we go to chapter 24, and this is something that is not just a few times a year, but it's continuous, and uh, it's regular. So that's kind of like where I, I kind of want you guys to think with that filter, regularity, continually, as, uh, as we go through this uh, tonight. But before we get started, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and we'll get moving. Father God, thank you. Uh, once more for tonight. Thank you, dear Lord, for allowing us to be here, dear Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that illuminates your word. And Lord, I just pray that tonight, Lord God, that you would just use me as your vessel, dear Lord, that it would not be any words of my own, Lord, but use uh, through me, Lord God, to the ears and hearts of your people, Lord God, as we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, this is something regular, something that's to be continual. That's why I've titled tonight's, uh, my message is Continual Contributions by the Congregation. Continual Contributions by the Congregation. And again, they can be, these, these, these regularities can be, uh, somewhat ritualistic, right? We, we all have a tendency, most of us, I'm sure, to kind of fall into a habit. Sometimes we call it a rut. But uh, these are things that God has appointed, has commanded uh, to be done. Therefore, they are righteous activities, but they are to be continual and regular. And I think maybe here in chapter 24, God's basically saying, you know, I've given you these feasts just now, and... Uh, they have their appointed times, and, and I, I don't just want you to fellowship with me on those dates, but I want to fellowship with you all the time. In your service, in all that you do, in your worship, it needs to be continual. It needs to be regular. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm going with it, is just the, the consistency of our, of, our, of our walk with our Lord. So I want, I want to start with Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, because this is where we are 
in, the, in this chapter. Physically, we are in the holy place. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table of the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. So these are the two pieces of furniture in the holy place, in the tabernacle that we'll be looking at tonight. So as we are about to read the passage for tonight, I ask you that you would stand in honor of reading God's word. Again, we are going to read the whole chapter, Leviticus 24. It's a NASB translation. The word of God says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light, to make a lamp burn continually. Outside the veil of testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. He shall keep the lamps in order on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. Then you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day he shall set, set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the Lord's offerings by fire, his portion forever. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shelemite, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who has cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard, lay, lay, let all who heard him lay hands on his head. Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the son, uh, excuse me, moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good, life for life. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Thus the one who kills an animal shall make it good, but the one who kills a man shall be put to death. There shall be one standard for you. It shall be for the stranger as well as the native, for I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the sons of Israel, and they brought the one who had cursed outside the camp and stoned him with stones. Thus 
the sons of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So I'm going to ask you to kind of bear with me as we go through this, and hopefully it all comes to a, a nice, neat little package uh, in the end. It's, we're going to expound on this, uh, but I'm basically going to focus on the things that are new to us in this passage because we've been through them in Exodus and so on. Um, so let's get started. The first thing I want us to look at is the, the continual support of the lampstand or for the lampstand. We read back in Exodus 25, verse 31, Then you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shaft are to be made of hammered work. Its cups, its bulbs, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And again, as we go into Leviticus, we're going to look at those four, first four verses in Leviticus 24 that deal with the lampstand. We read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, command the, command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. Outside the veil of testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. He shall keep the lamps in order on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. So just right outside uh, the Holy of Holies, outside that curtain that's separated from the holy place, the lamp stand would be out there and it would provide lighting in the holy place. The priest tended to the golden lampstand while he was there in the holy place. He would clean it. He would, um, the, you had the lampstand, but then they would have, uh, the lamps would actually go on top. So he would have to clean each one. He would have to fill them with oil and they have to maintain uh, the wicks also. Not only was the oil to be provided always, forever, continually, but so was this preparation and this maintenance of the lamps. It was to be done daily. Again, different from the feasts. Moses receives a command from the Lord uh, for the people of Israel. Again, he says, the Lord, this says, the Lord spoke, command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. Now, that oil, okay, that's, that's in that lamp, I found, I found out this about the oil, and it's from uh, a commentary. It's called Peter's Shadow. I don't know who it is, but it's, it's an excerpt from the ancient, his ancient minutes, okay? And it's just like a historical book, and it gives us a little bit of insight at this. The oil of this type was usually beaten from unripe fruit. The Mishnah gives a description of the ancient process. The oils were gently pounded in a mortar and the pulp poured into a wicker or rush basket. This acted as a strainer, allowing the liquid to drain into a container beneath. The beaten oil would float to the top and was skimmed oil, skimmed off. So this was this pure oil and how it was processed. And one of the reasons why it was they wanted pure oil, that God has for pure oil, is because this is being burned indoors, and it was virtually smokeless when, when it would burn and provide the light. So again, this was to continue, it's said in verse 3, 
to for generations. It wasn't just for a season. It was to go beyond Aaron's sons and onward. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And this was a, a great effort uh, on, on the part of the people. Um, this was not a one person or a one household job. You have to, you have to really consider all the work that was involved. Uh, I did a little bit of research and all the olives that, that were needed uh, to be uh, harvested and then gently pressed by a, a, a mortar all by hand. So it's a lot of work. It's all physical work, and, it's done, it's, it, and it just takes a lot of time. Just to give you an idea, each, each lamp, okay, each one of the seven lamps, the bowls, okay, each one held nine ounces of, of oil. And all seven of those together would burn one quart of olive oil per day which amounts to 7,000 olives, okay? Um, and it's because it takes 7,000 olives to make a quart. And one tree produces, on an average, up to 10,000 olives per year. But then they would produce these olives every other year. That was like the maximum harvest, their best harvest. So it would be a year on, and then a year off, it would produce a little bit less. It's kind of like every other year. So basically, it, it would take one, one tree to fuel the lamp per day. So that's, I mean, if you can picture in your mind, like how many olives literally had to be pressed, okay, in a mortar by hand. This was not a one-man job. This was not a one-household job. It took a lot of people. We can see how virtually the entire nation had to be involved in this. Now, some, uh, as I was studying for this, some commentaries, I read that the lamps would burn from dusk to dawn, and some say 24-7. At where I'm at right now, I'm kind of leaning on 24-7, and I'll tell you why. Because in the, uh, in the second verse, where it says to make the lamps burn continually or regularly, and it's also in Exodus, um, that word burn means to ascend. It means to increase, to overcome, to be exalted. And the illumination of the, of the holy uh, place allowed the priests to carry out their duties representative of the people uh, in the presence of God to be a continual accession, all right, ascension. In a way, the people's regular provision of oil had contributed to them having fellowship with God through the priest. Their provision, their service made that possible. And the lit lamp brings, if I could say this, spiritual illumination. And what I mean is there was illumination for the priest so that he was able to worship God and do his service representative of the people. It was a spiritual act of worship unto the Lord. And I have to imagine, because the curtains, it was so dark in there that I don't know how there was light. At least, at, like I said, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of curious, but how there would be light in there even during the day for him to clean them, unless they took them out. I don't know all the details. Again, if someone knows them, please, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, in the Bible, we see the, that oil is also symbolic. It represents 
the Holy Spirit. Just one quick verse, Psalm 89.20. I have found David, my servant, with my oil, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. Today, we can worship God regularly. We can worship God daily in his prescribed and acceptable way, walking in obedience, because his words have been illuminated to us, right, by his Holy Spirit. In a practical way, the illumination of the lamp shows Shows the, way the pre, uh, shows the priest the way to God, the way to go to the uh, table, right, of showbread, and to enter the Holy of Holies. So he literally needs this light to serve. The illumination of the Holy Spirit shows people, right, the way to God. Faith comes by what? By hearing the word of God and that, that word is basically, and it tells us in Scripture, but it would be ineffective unless someone is drawn by God's Spirit and he's able to understand it. And for us, as believers, you know, it's, it, it maintains the saints' relationship through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world, is the way to God, right? We read that in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And also John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the darkness has not overcome it. The Israelites brought oil as a contribution. A contribution that the priest would be able to intercede on their behalf. We are to bring what the psalmist refers to as what? A broken spirit, and a contrite, repentant heart in order that we may worship and be used by our God. Now, I might be stretching this. Um, in a way, uh, the, the church is like, is like the lampstand, if I could, if I just bear with me, say that. I'm talking about the people, the body of Christ, in, a, in the sense that, that we are called by God through his scripture to light up the darkness, right? To shine truth, to shine love, mercy, and the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Showing, showing people, in essence, the way to God, just as the illumination would show the priest the way in the holy place. So just as the lampstand was to burn continually until the Messiah came, so we, the church are to continually, regularly, it should be part of our everyday life, shine until Christ returns. Again, be a witness and be a testimony. So the other piece of furniture in there was the table of showbread. So now we'll, we'll look at that, the, the continual support of the fine flour will be the next one. And we read in Exodus 25.30, And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Now in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, Then you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, 
he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the Lord's offerings by fire, his portion forever. So the table of showbread, as I'm sure we're familiar by now, was the representation of God's covenant with his people. The bread of the presence, that word presence actually means the face of. So that word of the, the bread was presented, it is literally in the face of God, so to speak. It was just outside the Holy of Holies on the golden table. And what a picture of our Savior Jesus, the bread of life. Just as he is holy before God, he provides true sustenance, and he is always present as the bread on the table. He is there continually. He is there regularly, and he is faithful. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Now, these loaves were very, very large. Um, they each weighed, I found out, anywhere from six to eight pounds. All right, that's a big loaf of bread. All right, uh, and now the table was only you know three feet in length, eighteen inches wide or deep, however you want to measure that, and that's why I think you know it's two stacks of six. All right, again representing the twelve tribes, but there were two stacks of six, and each Sabbath the loaves were eaten by the priests and replaced with twelve fresh loaves. Now I'm not sure if they ate them all. I don't know that it matters really, but. That was part of the provision for them. This, as with the oil and tending to the lamp, God had commanded it to be contributed regularly or continually. In verse 7, we read, You shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. So the, the, the priest would eat some or all, I'm not sure. And it just it reminds me, it's, it's well, this is a reminder of the grain offering, right? Or sometimes it's called the, the, the meat offering. In Leviticus chapter uh, 2, verse 2, he shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and shall take from it, it its, uh, take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense. And then it would be burned on the altar. Now, the pure frankincense was put on each row. It's probably in a saucer or a bowl because that's, those, that was part of the utensils that were on the table. And that's more than likely that's what they were there for. Uh, the priests uh, eating it really were symbolic of, of Israel's fellowship with God. Again, their representation of Israel before God. And both the, the lampstand and the flower uh, deal with matters pertaining to the tabernacle and the priestly ministry related to it. Both are made of gold. Both were placed in the holy place inside the tabernacle. Both were matters of regular maintenance. One was daily, one was weekly. In both cases, the entire congregation are involved in one way or another. The people had to provide both oil for the lamp and flour for the loaves. Now, the importance of maintaining uh, the lamp and the loaves emphasize, I think, a key value one which is found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it is that spiritual ministry requires physical support. 
right? We, that's why we have people in the church uh, to, to do different jobs. Um, pastor is the senior pastor. He preaches every Sunday. There's other people to do some physical work, all right? So, so th- there, there is like an, an order of things there. But there are mainly, the point I want to make is that resources are needed, time is needed, effort is needed. We could put that all in one word, right? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is needed. Today, the church has the word of God to sustain us. Amen? We are to feed on the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. So that's pretty much the first uh, part of the chapter, the first half of the chapter. Uh, the second part of the chapter, uh, again, the lampstands and the loaves had to do with the tabernacle and the maintenance of two physical elements pertaining to priestly ministry and Israel's worship. So now as we continue, uh, we learn of a man who blasphemes using the name of God and how he is dealt with. So when I, I'll be honest, when I first looked at this, it's like, okay, how do these... I mean, you could, you could break it up, but it does kind of go together, I think. You, you tell me when I'm done. Um, verses 10 uh, to 16. The Word of God says this, Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the, the name and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Debri, of the, son, of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who has cursed, who has cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, that then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. We're told that he's the son of a Jewish woman whose father was an Egyptian. Uh, he's either the son of a, of a Jewish, woman, Jewish woman who was a slave, I think, or um, of a mixed marriage, which God warns against. And maybe, you know, this is where we see the fruit of such uh, a relationship. You know, he's, he's there with the people and he just, he's, he's not like them. He's unequally yoked. <clears throat> It appears that this man attempts to live among the Jewish people. At the end of verse 10, it says that uh, he went out among the sons of Israel, again, probably claiming the right because uh, his mother was Jewish from the, the tribe of Dan. And the two men had a disagreement, and it escalated into a fight. It may have been uh, during their struggle when the son blasphemed using the name of God. I have this definition uh, For blasphemy. To blaspheme is to speak with contempt about God, 
or to be defiantly irreverent. Blasphemy, blasphemy is verbal or written reproach of God's name, character, work, or attributes. It is a very serious thing to take the name of God in vain or to misuse it. God requires that his name be hallowed. Exodus 20, verse 7, the commandment says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Exodus 22, 28, You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. And then Leviticus 19, 12, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am Lord. This man reviled the name of the Lord. There were words that, that damage or insult the reputation or character of God. It is a serious, heavy offense. So how was this man to be dealt with? Um, if you remember back in, in Exodus, Moses' father-in-law uh, was talking with Moses. He says, you know, you got so much on your plate. Uh, I think you're doing too much. You need to appoint some capable men to kind of take care of the more minor issues and the, the bigger issues, the major issues. You could deal with just those. And in Exodus 19.22, we read, Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. So now this is a major dispute, what's happened here. Back, now that we're back in Leviticus, the blasphemer was brought to Moses. And Moses had him imprisoned while he sought the Lord and gained understanding as how to handle uh, this whole situation. It says in verse 12 that they, they put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Not only was this a abhorrent to God, but the, imagine the weight and the seriousness that now is on Moses to dispense his punishment. So he does the right thing. He takes a moment. He takes time. This is the first recording in Scripture where the commandment had been violated. So this is all new territory. So Moses, he does the wise thing. He doesn't react. He wisely seeks God's counsel. How many of us want to be more like Moses? Amen. I know I do it at times. It's good, and it's good and wise to seek a godly response in all situations. In Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat, when he appointed judges, he had these words in chapter 19, verse 6. He said to the judges, Consider what you were doing, for you do, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you. And when you render judgment, even if we know what is right, at times it can be difficult. So we want to be sure. We always want to be sure, even when it's difficult, to render judgment. We know what God's Word says. We know, especially in the, in the New Testament church, you know, we have instruction on how to deal with sin and what's to be done. And there's different levels and so on. But it's never easy. It's, it's, it's something... We wish we never have to do, but we're required to carry out God's 
laws, God's command, his justice at times. Moses, maybe he just needed a little time to get there, but he did the wise thing. He did the wise thing by seeking the Lord. And again, God gave him his instructions in verses 13 to 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the one who has cursed outside the camp and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel saying, if anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So they brought him, it says in verse 11. Those were the people that witnessed it, whoever, you know, as many as there were. You need to have witnesses. You never go by one accusation, especially when it comes to the household of God. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7, we're instructed on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witness shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Alan P. Ross in his commentary writes this about this situation. The name, of, the name of the Lord is clearly a force to be reckoned with in the Old Testament because it represents the divine nature, all that God is known to be. To sanctify the name of the Lord does not simply mean to use the name carefully. It means to sanctify the Lord himself. And in this passage, the improper use of the name was no mere utterance of the name, but the outward expression of contempt for the person of God. Again, a very serious thing to blaspheme God. Again, verses 15 and 16, God specified that, again, this is an unpardonable sin. At the end of 15, if anyone curses God, then he will bear his sin. There was to be no appointed animal for him to lay his hand on, to make atonement, this was all on him. He would bear it on his own head. And the whole congregation took part in this. Together, they obeyed God's instruction. Again, beginning right from the get-go with the two witnesses. The church today is still responsible for upholding the name of God as holy. As we went over in our men's group, and I believe the ladies did it also, um, the Lord's Supper, the prayer of the Lord, I'm sorry, the prayer of the Lord by R.C. Sproul. Uh, R.C. says this in the book, a proper attitude towards God's name is the basis to everything because how we believe before God, how we believe, how we live, excuse me, how we live before God is determined by our attitude toward him and our view of him. No worship, no adoration, and no obedience can flow from a heart that has no regard for the name of God. So it is a very, very serious thing. God is just, and his justice is an indispensable part of his character, in the same way as his love and mercy are indispensable. Without his justice, sin goes unpunished. 
It goes unchecked, amen? Without justice, evil wins. There would be no reward for obedience. Pastor referred to this uh, scripture this morning. Micah 6.8 summarizes some key elements that, uh, of God's character that we need to reflect. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk, to live humbly with your God. So following his pronounced judgment to be carried out by the people, God reminds them now of some laws and their penalties concerning murder and uh, personal injury. So we see the continual support of God's justice. Verses 17 to 22. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good, life for life. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Thus, the one who kills an animal shall make it good, but the one who kills a man shall be put to death. There shall be one standard for you. It shall be for the stranger as well as the native, for I am the Lord your God. Punishment must be equal to the crime, and the punishment is to be equally administered, regardless of social, economic, or any other status. We see that in verse 16 and verse 22. Verse 16, Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And verse 22, There shall be one standard for you. It shall be for the stranger as well as the native, for I am the Lord your God. Whether this man was a resident alien or an Israelite, the same penalty applies to all. God shows no partiality. His law is perfect and applies to all people. The punishment fits the crime. Retribution is a principal goal in God's word. And then the, the final verse, 23. Then Moses spoke to the sons of Israel, and they brought the one who had cursed outside, who had cursed outside the camp and stoned him with stones. Thus the sons of Israel did, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So they were obedient and they carried it out. So what does Leviticus chapter 24 mean for us? In verses 1 through 9, the lampstand and the bread had specific requirements, like the feasts, but they were commanded to be done continually or regularly and through generations with continual contributions made by God's people. In 10 to 23, the justice carried out for the violation of God's laws also had specific requirements in the carrying them out, continually and regularly for all generations, and the, and the people had part in the dispensing of God's justice. Again, not a pleasurable thing. It's not like you go around looking for this, but at times we have to address these things. Now, for an example, in chapter 10, 
Nadab and Abihu were put to death. Why? Because they did not offer incense in God's prescribed way. We've seen throughout Leviticus uh, the ritual, continual offerings as God had prescribed. Again, they, they can be rituals. I think they are ritual offerings. For example, uh, again, in chapter 23, they were made at specific times. We see now, again, God has prescribed ways. They have to be done certain times, certain ways, and so on. In his prescribed way, no other way. The challenge is for the worship not to become ritualistic, not for it just to become something we do. Absent of a heart inclined towards worshiping God. And our challenge as New Testament believers is the same as it was in the Old Testament. If you read Isaiah chapter 29, verses 13 to 14, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Rituals are not bad. Jesus had rituals. Did you know that? Rituals that were commanded to observe. Jesus had rituals or habits, things that he did continually, things that he did regularly in Luke 4.16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, right, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. He had a ritual of prayer, Luke twenty two thirty nine, And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And even Paul, we're told, entering the synagogues in Acts 17. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scripture. Godly rituals or habits are necessary on the working out of our salvation. It is a necessary part of our sanctification. It takes a lot of work, just like the olives and the flour and all that. It takes sacrifice. It takes resources. It takes time. It takes effort. It is the effort effort that we need to put in. The last two weeks, pastor has mentioned from the com- uh, I think from the commentary that we, we don't slide into holiness, right? Our sanctification, it requires effort, requires work. So I'll close with this. Rituals done continually like prayer, reading, fellowship, which really includes Bible study, community groups, Sunday school, and service, is, how, is part of how we put on the new self and putting to death the old self. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Lord God, for how you've shown me in the study of this chapter, Lord God, and convicted me. And I pray, Lord, that your sons and daughters in this room, Lord, that they've gleaned something that you've spoken to them through your word. And may we take what we've learned, what you've shown us, Apply it to our lives that you will get all honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
If you would please stand with me and grab your hymnals and open up to 591, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And we're going to sing all four verses. 591, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, oh power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Filled with thy spirit, till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Christ only always living in me. Amen. <laughs> 